Hello, everybody, and welcome to Anti-Drug Social Club Podcast. I am your host, Kim Sacconi, and today we are joined with our very special guest, Alyssa Regan. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Alyssa Regan is the executive director of CSC Loud and Clear nonprofit organization. It is located in Monmouth County. We are at the Stable Stable. CSC Loud and Clear is a relapse prevention program that is located in Monmouth County. It offers multiple pathways into recovery from smart recovery, refuge recovery, She Goals, which I actually run that meeting. It's a women's empowerment meeting located in Tom's River on Wednesdays. The women are freaking amazing. We have holistic healing such as living in the Tao, chakra bowl meditations, and more. And I also want to give Alyssa the opportunity to explain more about the program. So, yeah. So CFC was founded, as you know, in light of Daniel Regan, who's my husband's um, journey through addiction and recovery. He went through multiple treatment centers and was finding that when he was coming out, there was no aftercare program available for him. Mm -hmm. And um, they were giving him, you know, 90 meetings in 90 days. And that was just the rule book. And it just wasn't working. So his last treatment center, they did a lot of holistic wellness and a multiple pathways approach. It really resonated with him. So when he came home from his last treatment center, his mom said, we're going to come up with a recovery plan for just for Daniel. And that included like running, meditation, cupping, acupuncture, along with smart recovery. She just downloaded the book offline and was holding a meeting with just her and Daniel at her kitchen table. And after he achieved one year and then two years into recovery, his friends started asking, hey, man, how are you getting sober? That year, he actually buried 20 of his friends from high school. And so it had a huge effect in in Howell Township here. So they started coming up with recovery plans for other people. And it grew from one person to two people to 10 people. And now we have over 2,000 alumni. It's a really amazing program to see have grown in such a short amount of time. We've only been here for 10 years and we've accomplished quite a bit. We have an 85% success rate of keeping our members in long-term recovery, helping them achieve and maintain that goal. We offer multiple support groups. We have a lot of retreats that we've gone to. Um, We went to Dominican Republic one year and built houses there. We've gone to Costa Rica to save the turtles. We have a lot of really fun sober socials where we've gone skydiving and camping and go-kart racing. Really what the program is meant to do is to build a recovery system around the recovery in their own personal way so they don't feel like they have to fit into a specific box. I love CFC Loud and Clear. I actually came through this program originally four years ago. I was actually at Daniel Regan also opened his own um, Irrelevance Behavioral Health and I had went through there. That was the first recovery, Mm -hmm. um, clinical recovery program I have ever went through. Loved it. It was kind of like build your own. There was acupuncture, massage therapy, mm-hmm. sound bed therapy, a lot of groups, a lot of processing. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, at that time, I don't think I was ready to admit I had an issue, mm-hmm. which is really a big part of it. You could have, you could lead the horse to water. They're not going to drink. Yeah. Like, you know, same concept. But everything was there for me to be able to utilize it properly. And then I had came over to the CFC side. And this was a major part of my recovery. Me, um, because I relapsed about three times, I always came back to the same place. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like, you hear people walk into the room, and there's a little bit of, like, I'm so happy you're here, but I'm so sad yeah. you're back, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and luckily, this past time around was my last time, I hope, um, mm-hmm. God willing, that I will not ever be in 
the relapse phase mm -hmm. again. I don't mm -hmm. think I could do it anymore. So um, I was so thankful that it was a build your own. I, I was the kid in art school um, that they would give me an art project and I had to like make it my own. Yeah. I just had to be extra mm -hmm. all the time. So um, the standard format for me and I, and I, I appreciate any meeting that exists and I will mm -hmm. utilize any meeting if I need a meeting. Mm -hmm. um, and I've met amazing women that are in NA recovery because um, I preferred the women's meeting when I went to right. NA. Mm -hmm. um, but I did find the most help for myself, a lot more self-help, mm -hmm. independent growing and healing in this program. Mm -hmm. And I'm so thankful for it. And I'm so thankful for the Regans. And I had met Alyssa about four years ago um, at Relevance. I think <laughs> I was miserable at that time. So I, I don't think I was a good client, to be honest. But um, <laughs> I still would always walk in and say, good morning. And um, I had met Lynn Regan. Mm -hmm. And Lynn Regan is amazing. She's a powerhouse of mm -hmm. a woman. And yeah. I always appreciate alpha women, like just that little bit extra because um, – it's a very specific mold, yeah. and it's really, really hard to be, like, respected yeah. sometimes. Yeah, and um, to command a room um, and not to be afraid to, like, ruffle some feathers, but still be soft enough to create connections. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And she's, like, the perfect blend because sometimes, for me, I could come off uh, a little brass, mm -hmm. and, like, the softness will disappear. And then sometimes I'm so soft, and, like, people are, like, like the other day I had went somewhere with someone um, and she, my coffee was terrible and, <laughs> and she knew it was terrible. And the guy walks over and I was like, I will tell you the, um, we were at toast in, yeah. in mm -hmm. Asbury. And I was like, I will tell you the red velvet latte is top tier compared mm -hmm. to the chocolate covered strawberry. I watched him put the Hershey syrup mm -hmm. in it. So I already knew I was like, I ordered the wrong thing. And then he's like, do you want me to remake it? I'm like, no, no, it's yeah, okay. fine. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, oh, my God, Kim, you have no backbone. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm like, oh. And I'm like, I do just, like, with weird stuff. Like, I will eat a steak that would probably give me E. coli mm. uh, before <laughs> I send it back. It's just not it's my mood. anxiety-inducing, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I worked in service, too. I'm like, it's not their fault, and mm -hmm. I don't want anyone, like, Breaking, mm -hmm. like messing with my food so I'm trying not to curse on this podcast it's uh, a little difficult <laughs> I, it may come out so we'll try not to um so every week I will be here um filling in two chairs it will be me interviewing someone else I'm hoping that Alyssa Regan will come back a bunch of times because she has so much insight for me in my life and I thoroughly appreciate it and her story and her journey is amazing and I'm so happy to be a part of this part of her journey and I really think that she's like the best friend that everyone needs. So the more often that we can get her on, I just, I really think her word holds so much value um, and her journey holds so much value. So I really, really appreciate her being here today because she's very busy, <laughs> very, very busy. Where are you going next week? Yeah, um, so I'm actually leaving for New Zealand, which is a lifelong dream, like ever since I was in third grade. Um, so I'm really, really excited for that. And I'm so grateful that I'm in a place where I can actually start achieving those dreams and travel and just, you know, get a different perspective. Yeah. Um, and some warmth because it's been really cold. It's nice today, but. Uh, Why did I think New Zealand's like Iceland for like cold? <laughs> 
So it's their summers are definitely a lot milder than here. Okay. Um, but it's like 74 there right now. Nice. It's be really That's nice. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I had a friend that would travel everywhere, and I believe she did go to New Zealand. Hundred Hope. And you can give a call over to there if you need resources or if you would like to become a member. Um, and definitely check out our website. There's a ton of things on there that, you know, you can keep up with us throughout the months because um, we have a lot of really cool things coming oh, for 2023. Yeah. We're actually, we're stepping into really busy season right now. That's mm-hmm. why it's so funny that we started the podcast like right before. Yeah. The craziest season of our life. It's like <laughs> up 72 hours, like building up uh, Rock the Farms. Every year I feel more amazed because it's just, it's crazy what we can accomplish. You know? <laughs> so I'm going to let you guys know too, we also can be found on YouTube. Any of the links to resources for you guys or anything that we're talking about on here that you are be in the underbar of our YouTube. <laughs> I don't know. So today's topic is beyond our limits. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Yay. So, <laughs> what did I say? Like, yay. Um, limitations. What do you feel that they're usually set by? Um, well, I feel like a multitude of things. It could really depend on the environment that you're in, how you grow up, you know, socially and economically, um, and kind of the behaviors that you may mirror from, you know, your friends and your family. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as you get older, there's like a lot of things that come into play, insecurities, mental health. Um, that I definitely think will set up your limitations for yourself. Yeah, um, I actually, I know we were talking about this in the past. Uh, Lynn used to do this thing called Privilege Walk, and Mm -hmm. I had brought it to the women's meeting. And um, what was really, like, cool about it is you don't realize, I don't think people that are privileged realize they're privileged. Right. Um, And then, like, as you're walking across the room, and what was crazy is my mom was actually there Mm -hmm. for this. So if... It was saying, like, has anyone in your family graduated school? Mm-hmm. So there's uh, educational privilege. Right. And, um, you know, me and my mom both didn't go to college. Mm-hmm. We just kind of were high school. My sister was our first uh, college graduate mm-hmm. in our family, and she was so proud of it. She kept saying mm-hmm. it. And at one point, I remember my mom going, do you want a biscuit? Like, <laughs> like I like, was, like, annoyed, you know? Yeah. She's like, we get it. You're, you know, you're <laughs> college educated. She has, like, 20 degrees, my sister. She's very, very smart. Um so uh, we were doing this privilege walk, and I, I don't think I ever realized that um, there's religious privilege. Mm-hmm. Like, I have friends that I grew up with that are Albanian, and they can't find mosques mm-hmm. because the, certain towns don't let them or they don't like the yeah. name. And, and it's just not safe to practice um, because it's not commonly accepted and mm-hmm. all of those kind of things. Yeah, I did the privilege walk when I was in high school, and I remember it being super impactful Um, And there's a lot of things that you don't necessarily think about, like if you have a meal on the table or if you have a warm bed or a roof over your head Um, and the same things, you know, education wise, like did my parents go to school? Where does that put me, you know, in this lineup and, you know, race and all of those things come into play, too. Mm -hmm. I feel like when we talk about privilege, especially now, um, there's a lot of like controversy in that because People can't help, you know, how they're born um, and the situations that they're automatically in. Um, But I do think recognizing, you know, different privileges, and it's not a bad thing to be privileged, but it is important to recognize that, you know, you may be in a different situation that someone else may be in. Yeah, um, I definitely think that that was super eye-opening for Mm -hmm. me. That, you know, there's a lot of people um, that don't necessarily 
because everyone has a different childhood, right? And they yeah. all have different experiences. And so it's really difficult for some people to kind of step out of what they know and, yeah. um, you know, see people for who they are and kind of uh, be understanding of other people's, you know, journey. journey. Really? Yeah. yeah. So I know in your life that you had a lot of experiences with limitations and just everything you've been through. So do you want to share a little bit about your background and where you're from? Yeah. So my parents um, struggled with substance abuse, and we lived in poverty. We lived in a Motel 6. Um, my mom was a waitress and a prostitute, and my dad was in and out of jail. So there was a lot of instability at a really young age, and um, there was a lot of domestic violence between you know my parents and um, physical abuse with my dad and myself and my siblings, um, and then some sexual abuse with one of my uncles. And um, it was really difficult to navigate, like, from the ages of three to six. And then when I turned six, I was actually placed into the foster care system. Um, and I was separated from my siblings. So it was really hard to feel like I was in a place that, like, I was allowed to have dreams and aspirations and even imagination or just do what normal six-year-olds have to do because I really needed to survive. Um, and I definitely think because of the environment that I grew up in and then being adopted into a super conservative household, um, and I would definitely categorize my adopted mother as a narcissist, um, being in that environment limited, you know, what I thought I could do. Um, and I still very much was in that um, survival mode for a really long time up until I would say really recently. Now, I know that going from you know, foster care system to a super conservative. And I know in the past we've even said like very goal-oriented, career-oriented family. That's mm -hmm. like honestly culture shock. And yeah. um, do you want to talk a little, little bit about that transition? Yeah, I mean, so I went from having no stability, like jumping in between 22 different foster homes and group homes. Um, I missed a lot of schooling and had a really hard time being able to focus because I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was 12. Um, and just navigating all of those traumas and a lot of like mental health that I had picked up while I was in foster care. And then I was placed in a super conservative household where they were very goal oriented. My adoptive parents are both educators. Mm -hmm. um, and the biggest thing for them was, you know, keeping up appearances. So they wanted, you know, the children to be seen and not heard, very respectful, making sure that we got straight A's in school. Um, and expectations were really high. We had to be the best at everything. Um, and that was like on the inside, behind closed doors. But to the outside, we were a super successful family, very loving. Um, mm -hmm. And my parents were great people because they had done something like adopt a child. Um, and so I feel like definitely the transition from having nothing to almost having everything, but it's still being very regulated and... Um, very like limited in what I was allowed to do or what was considered okay yeah was really hard it was almost like um you were given everything with conditions mm -hmm. kind of yeah yeah I I remember feeling like that a little bit somewhat yeah. when I was a child and um you know they talk about all the time unconditional love and I guess like what did unconditional love look like for you or what does it look like for you now as a mother yeah so when I was younger I definitely 
was seeking that unconditional love. And I don't think I ever really found it until I became an adult. Um, there was very much like there were conditions to our love. If I did something that they considered to be wrong or bad in their eyes, you know, I was things were taken away from me, like food or yeah. comfort of my own bed, um, privacy, all of those kind of things were like weaponized against me. Um, and so when I became a mom, I knew all throughout my childhood leading into my young adult years that I didn't want to become my birth family and I definitely didn't want to become my adoptive mother to my child. Right. Um, and I feel like, you know, when I gave birth, it was such an instantaneous, you just loved them immediately. Yeah. Um, but there is a lot of practice that I've been, you know, actively practicing and learning as I'm becoming a mom that I'm trying to remember that, you know, this is my child and I love them. But, you know, they may do things that, you know, maybe I don't necessarily agree with, but mm. that's not really my place to say. Um, you know, I don't own my children. They're their own mm -hmm. people. Um, and so I feel like now because they're toddlers and they're so, like, exploring the world and new, I've never really needed to encounter something like that yet. Right. Um, but I'm doing all of the inner healing that I think needs to be done in order for me to properly be there for my kids once they start exploring different things in life. I love that. I think that it's like super important to be always growing and like giving yourself the help that um, sometimes you don't even know you need, like seeking mm -hmm. different types of therapies and um, just different exploration of yeah. like a new life. You mm -hmm. know, you have the opportunity now to like give yourself the life that you didn't get to have mm -hmm. when you were younger. Um, do you ever still feel limited like as a mom? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I still struggle with a lot of mental health, uh, like a lot of insecurities. I have fear of abandonment. Mm -hmm. um, I've been doing really intensive inner child therapy for a few weeks now. That's amazing. And um, it's really taught me that there are some core things that I didn't receive as a child that greatly affects me in my adult life. And it's in very small moments that I will notice it. I think that I definitely still have tendencies where, you know, I want to be the best mom, I want to be the best partner, um, and I, I feel like I'm not good enough for my kids or I'm not good enough for my husband, and that's all, like, negative self-talk, um, but it is still something that's really prevalent and fearful. Like, I'm fearful that, you know, these things are going to be taken away from me eventually or, like, I'm not deserving of, like, this kind of happiness. It's very much imposter syndrome. I could see, like, obviously through your experience where you would feel like that. How do you, like, rebut those thoughts? Well, I've, because of this inner child therapy, I've been working really closely with someone who specializes in, like, somatic breathing okay. um, and a lot of meditation and kind of alternative ways to therapy. Mm -hmm. um, and so I really feel like that has greatly helped me. And initially I was really skeptical of it, you know, how much could breathing actually help me. Um, but I do find that in the moment it really does calm me down and allows me to like take a moment to think. Um, I've also just recognized that it's okay to feel all of these feelings that I'm feeling and recognize that there may be some truth to it but most of the time there really is no truth it's just little me having like a moment yeah um and you know really feeling those emotions I've also been doing um documentation on my phone like video recording myself when I'm in those moments 
um, not necessarily to look back on, but just so that I can get everything that's in my head out and hear myself saying it. Right. And then I feel like I've addressed it. You know that you were talking about like breathing before and mm-hmm. that was something too. like, you know, there were two things that I kind of thought were like, how is this really going to help me? Mm-hmm. And it was positive affirmations. Um, and then breathing, mm-hmm. you know, because when I first got here, there was so many different, like, I, Dan, especially on Tuesday night, randomly, he would be like, let's do... Yeah, uh, breath of fire. Yeah, the mm-hmm. breath of fire. And I'm like, what are you talking about, yeah. you know? And um, and it is amazing. And I, when I was younger, I went to this one therapist, and impulsivity is so prevalent yeah. in people with ADHD. Mm-hmm. And, like, that urgency feeling, mm-hmm. I constantly, like, overwhelm myself with 50 things I should have done, like, last week. And right. then I'm like now I have to do it all now. Mm-hmm. And it's like that urgency. And then I feel like I'm behind and then I'll feel like I'm drowning. You know, like it's like yeah. all those feelings. Yeah. And I remember her telling me like, if something feels urgent, sleep on it and then act on it the next mm-hmm. day. And then half the time things aren't as urgent as they feel. Yeah. But like, if it's like that feeling like I forgot something. Yeah. It's a, I think it's a constant reminder that I give myself is just the world isn't going to end right now. If these things are not figured out in this exact moment. Right. Um, And just being mindful that, you know, everyone goes through their own seasons of things. And maybe I might not be on the same page as everyone else, but we're all experiencing life in very different ways. Um, And so I don't want to limit myself to thinking like very much inside this box. Um, And the breathing, I mean, so the therapist that Dan learned that from was at his last treatment center, and that's actually who I'm seeing now. That's amazing. Um, And it's really incredible to see what Noah has done for Dan and how his practices really did affect how CFC was built out. Um, And he's just such a introspective and very kind person. He actually reminds me, Dan reminds me of him in a lot of ways. Um, and I think that it's important for people that are on a healing journey to try alternative things to see if it might be a good fit for them. Right. Because I was always so used to a traditional way of therapy and it just wasn't resonating with me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I definitely, I feel like breathing, meditating, um, and just being like brutally honest with myself, even Mm -hmm. if I'm just talking out loud, which I feel like if you have ADHD, you do, you do a lot naturally anyway. Yeah, I wait till I'm in my car and no one's around. Yeah, and then you just time. like start talking. Or yeah. you create scenarios like, oh, I you know, I'll rewrite, the, how the, ooh, I'll rewrite how the scenario went um, or how I would like for it to have gone. Or you wait for someone that like probably will never approach you, but like you like get mm-hmm. the whole argument ready in yeah. the car and you're mm-hmm. like, well, actually, I was thinking about this and like mm-hmm. <laughs> you plan the whole mm-hmm. thing out and I'm like, yeah, I'm, like, it's like you're building yourself up in yeah. some weird way, yeah. but, like, then I don't have to have the conversation because mm-hmm. I just had it with myself. Yeah, because you just had it, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. You feel like you're crazy when you're doing it, but you're like, whatever, I just yeah. feel better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I, I would say, though, something that you did bring up, and it's super important, is not to limit yourself in your healing journey or mm-hmm. your recovery. And, um, and obviously, when you fit, like, or when you follow a standardized mold that worked for someone that, you know, not one size fits all in recovery. And that's something that I really learned coming through here. It was really like what worked for Dan was the fact that he had the ability and the accessibility to build his own. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this is Dan's recovery plan, but now it's like, how do we individualize this for all the people that are coming Mm -hmm. through here? Like you said, we've serviced about 20,000 people here Mm -hmm. total. Um, 
So the recovery plan is going to look different to everybody. And there's some people that still love NA and AA. Yeah, they're very traditional. And mm-hmm. we support that because at the end of the day, um, smart recovery is science-based, but it complements any other program. So if you like NA or AA, um, that's amazing. And then when people are like, I don't like NA or AA, I try to figure out how many times they give it like mm-hmm. a real full try. Yeah. And I think what I learned is five times. You have to give, like, that same meeting, that same room, five times before you judge it. Mm -hmm. And then if it's really not for you, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But you didn't give it a fair shake if you didn't sit there at least five times with, like, full open heart intentions. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, for me, my recovery isn't even so much the meetings as it is the community and the random things. And then my friends that aren't in recovery that just have really full lives that Mm -hmm. I, like want to hear about and Mm -hmm. I would like to aspire to get to um and a lot of my recovery is giving back yeah so um and that's in NA or is he snoring (laughs) I don't know I can't hear I don't know if it's my nose because I'm like not breathing well down here for some reason right now that's why I keep going like a mouth breather I'm like (sighs) um one thing that I really enjoy are the connections with Mm -hmm. the other people in this community and being able to be there for them and give my time to them right but I noticed that my personal mental health declines when I'm not taking care of myself Mm -hmm. like on an individual basis Mm -hmm. um and a lot of people I feel like could easily forget that yeah I feel like I keep hearing something, and I think it's my nasal, so I'm sorry if you hear that, guys. So for me, growing up at some point, um, depression really limited me, Mm -hmm. and um, it made it hard for me to do basic things um, like shower or go to sleep at night, but then I would sleep all day, um, messiness, Mm -hmm. uh, not really eating. And I just, like, remember, you know, you spend a lot of time on social media, and I'm sure that didn't help my depression at that time because there's so many. um, The comparisons will kill you. Yeah. And I think that that limits you alone. It's Mm -hmm. like, I don't have what that person has, so I'm just going to stop while I'm ahead because I'm never going to get there. Mm -hmm. And um, I started seeing these things where they're like, you have the same amount of hours in the day as Beyonce or Kylie Jenner. And, like, as you know, Kylie Jenner hit the Forbes list for, Mm -hmm. like, one of the youngest women billionaires. Yeah. Um, And I guess, like, it amazes me that, like, you don't think about what you do with mm-hmm. your hours of the day, mm-hmm. but how much time is limited by you flipping through Instagram or TikTok yeah. and how many hours are you doing self-help books mm-hmm. or showing up to something new or doing mm-hmm. an art class or reading something? Yeah. Um, what would you say to people that are struggling, I guess, with comparisons mm-hmm. um, and also feeling limited by mental health? Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately... A lot of people, myself included, you know, we have a tendency to look at social media and see only the good side of things. Yeah. Um, and recently, it's become a trend to share, like, the bad side, too. I feel like it's still very edited. It's still very um, acted out. It's only, like, a specific um, genre of, like, type of mental health that you're seeing. Yeah. Um, and I think with people that are struggling with comparisons, it... It takes a lot to just go, this is probably someone's life, like, in a nutshell, but it's not actually who these people are. Right. I think um, social media gives us, like, this false idea that we know the people that we're watching or um, that we have, like, a real sense of connection to them, but you don't actually know them 
behind closed doors. Um, and so people that are struggling with comparisons and mental health, it's just remember that you're only seeing like a five second clip of someone's life. Right. Um, and they're only sharing with you what they want to. Um, and you know, again, you're moving at your own pace and it comes with like, you know, being a little bit more confident with yourself and stuff like that, knowing that you're okay with where you're at. Um, but I think faking it until you make it too is a big one. Like, yeah, you know, just really pushing yourself to keep trying the next day and keep trying the next day and trying the next day. And then eventually if you're doing it, you know, you won't yeah, even at least realize. it's a pattern mm-hmm. at that point. I know, like, my mom was always... So, like, I think my mom, she struggled with mental health. She has depression. And um, I think that there were certain things that were embedded in her from her mom about, like, getting ready, um, looking really presentable to mm-hmm. the world. It's, like, kind of like what you hear a lot about people down south about, like, just put lipstick on. It makes mm-hmm. you feel better. Mm-hmm. So, like, for me, she had this rule that I couldn't wear sweatpants more than once a week Mm -hmm. and they had to be like matching sweatpants they couldn't be like pajama pants Mm -hmm. and like even if I wore sweats to sleep I couldn't wear those same sweats out so during COVID um my mom had like a bunch of these like matching pajama sets Mm -hmm. and um she would actually sleep in one pair of pajamas and then she'd wake up in the morning and she'd switch into another pair because, like, the rule was you couldn't walk around all day mm-hmm. in the same clothes because it does dehumanize you, you know? Yeah. Like, that switch into new clothes makes you feel a little more human, a mm-hmm. little more fresh. And then, like, she created little routines. So there's, like, a lot of things in her life that when I got in close quarters with her during COVID, <laughs> I was, like, I didn't feel like my days were completely empty and, like, mm-hmm. my mental health was okay at the yeah. time I was still like kind of going fresh through a detox mm-hmm. and like all those things but um just even changing your clothes yeah fake it till you make it mm-hmm. um forcing yourself to eat when you don't want to eat because mm-hmm. you know you need to eat yeah um drinking a lot of water mm-hmm. you know and I find what ha- like helps for me too is getting like accountability buddy mm-hmm. um so I know me and my friend um we've been like going to the gym we don't live together or like near each other but um, you know, we'll text each other every day. Like I made it to the gym today and we're like, woohoo, go you. Yeah. Um, and just having someone that is checking in on you. Like, did you eat today? Like, did you drink enough water? Like, how are you doing? It is definitely really helpful because even if you're not doing it, you at least still have that reminder that like, Hey, someone's caring about you and checking in on you to see if you're okay. And it helps you keep up with the routine. And I think it just like takes you out of the like mental health limiting you when you force yourself out of it because that's really the only way you get through it it's the same with addiction like Mm -hmm. I mean cravings they go on for almost a year Mm -hmm. and um, a lot of people cave to them but if you just like fake it till you make it Mm -hmm. and just tell myself all I got to do is hit a year yeah and then see where I'm at in a year truthfully at that point you're like I don't want to give up my year let me push a little further Mm -hmm. um I remember something that Dan always said uh was I told, I gave myself a five-year rule, Mm -hmm. and if I hit five years and I still want to have a drink and I still want to smoke pot or whatever, Mm -hmm. that he would do it. And then he realized how much he had in those five years that he was like, you know what, Um, let me give myself five more Mm -hmm. uh, because, like, I have a family now. Mm -hmm. I have this business. Mm -hmm. I have, like, all these amazing things. I don't want to lose them, and Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm willing to risk it right now. So Mm -hmm. push five more years. Mm -hmm. And I think the thought of forever is limiting, yeah. you know, for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. this is all you can do mm-hmm. and you can't have this. And it, it creates like this life sentence 
as opposed to just a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Um, And the cool thing is right now, I mean, sober is kind of cool right Mm -hmm. now. Mental health is like very spoken about. Um, I mean, the one thing I will say that imagine is super hard is mental health is talked about, Mm -hmm. but people still don't accept certain mental health symptoms. Right. And that's, like, really sad that mm-hmm. you still see people, like, discriminating against specific symptoms. So, like, you know, sometimes, like I said, showering's hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, I don't think my mom, she'll push me. Like, if I freaking stink, mm-hmm. she's going to tell me. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm going to probably take a shower. And overall, I have dry shampoo. I, like, do things to, mm-hmm. you know, help myself. But sometimes people don't even have the energy for that or the support for that. And, like, they may look greasy. They may- <laughs> They may look greasy or they may smell or um, there's certain things and then people are just grossed out by them, Mm -hmm. not realizing that they're like at a very low place and they really should be offering Mm -hmm. more support, Mm -hmm. become that buddy like you have. Yeah, or when people isolate, because I know for me, um, I definitely will isolate from my friends or like from my family. Yeah. Um, And I think people who don't know me or don't know my patterns would get really upset by that because I'm not texting them. I'm not following up to call them. I'm not doing X, Y, and Z. I'm not coming out and doing stuff. Um, and it's not that I don't want to, it's just, it's so exhausting to try to keep up with things. Um, and I definitely get like very in my head and then it, it takes a lot of energy to push through. And so I feel like having the right support group, which is why CFC is so important. The community is the biggest component because there are other people that are in the same boat as you experiencing different things. But, um, there is a level of understanding like, Hey, we're all kind of going through the same thing and we're here to help each other. Yeah. And, um, I think that the support is like a major part. And if you could just like help somebody by just being nice, Mm -hmm. um, and like helping them get out of like the limitations they're setting on themselves or their mental health is kind of like presetting for them. Mm -hmm. Um, It can make a huge difference um, that you are helping somebody, but that person will feel way better Mm -hmm. like with just knowing that there's someone out there. And for me, it's like a pay it forward thing. Like if someone does something nice for me, I do something nice for someone else. And it like, it does keep going because Mm -hmm. like, I feel like kindness always wins. Um, So yeah. I saw uh, the music artist, Russ. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a video of him on TikTok, and he was basically asked something like, did you see this coming? Mm-hmm. You know, like, did you see everything that you have right now coming? And he had said, when people ask artists or anyone, oh, did you see this coming? It's like, well, yeah, how else would you make this happen? I don't even know how you would make something extraordinary happen if you didn't have extraordinary level of belief. Mm-hmm. Like, for you, the life that you have now, did you mm-hmm. envision this life prior mm-hmm. to having it? Yeah, I mean, I think I definitely had moments where I hoped that this is what my life would be. Yeah. Um, I always wanted to be a mother. I always wanted to be in a loving and stable environment and relationship. Um, and, you know, I wanted to be able to give back and help people. That was definitely a goal of mine. But As a young child, I don't think I had the safety or the ability to actually have dreams that I thought were going to be accomplished. Um, I, you know, if I'm being honest, I didn't even think I would make it into my 20s. Like, I struggled with mental health a lot, and um, I actually am a suicide survivor. So there's a lot of 
um, scenarios in there where I really couldn't envision. I, this is what I wanted, but I didn't know that I was going to do it. But I do agree that there is like an extraordinary amount of belief that you need to have, maybe not necessarily in yourself, but in, in what something. the future could yeah. be. Um, and just a lot of hope. Like I feel like if I really do reflect back on my childhood and my life, there were moments of hope or, you know, moments of light where I was like, okay, if I can just keep going, then eventually I'm going to get here. Right. Um, and once I became an adult and really when I got into the stable relationship with Daniel and became a mother, I started doing, um, a lot of inner healing that allowed for me to realize that I don't need to be in survival mode anymore. Right. I can actually start exploring who I want to be and what I want to do with my time. Yeah, like it started to become like a little more mm-hmm. real and um, and even I'm sure your mental health started getting better as well, mm-hmm. which makes it easier to... Yeah, and I just think um, we... I'm just so grateful like for Dan because we do a lot of reflection. Um, when we met, we were both working like multiple jobs mm-hmm. um, and we always envisioned we wanted to be successful. We wanted to build... Um, something great for our family. We wanted to have that stability and it's actually happening. We talk about it a lot. Like we've grown so much and we're growing together and there's a lot of sacrifice that goes into that. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, we met so young. So there's so much personal growth that happens too. Um, and so I feel like just being like honest with each other and trying to be kind and like growing through it mm-hmm. is, um, you know, something that I'm definitely really grateful for. So Um, it's something that I always wanted, but I'm not sure if it's something that I thought I could achieve. And because I, I struggle with still with that imposter syndrome, I have moments where I'm like, do I deserve this? Or, you know, I feel like maybe I should have worked harder or done more to have what I have now. Yeah, I, I totally get it. I mean, knowing you, I know that there's no one more deserving of everything that you have. And, um, I know this is something that you know, people don't really know you and Dan's backstory and what your 24 hours looked like before mm-hmm. you were here, yeah. you know? Um, like, do you want to talk a little bit about, like, your education, mm-hmm. your uh, your background and careers yeah. and what you were doing prior mm-hmm. to this? Yeah. So um, when I first met Dan, I was still working in, like, retail and food industry. I was kicked out of my parents' house, and I didn't have a car. Um, I had to start paying, like, I had to buy a phone, pay for my own phone bill, needed to get car insurance, um, and all of those great things that happen when you're an adult. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I got a job as a receptionist in a medical facility, and the doctor there was actually very nice and um, allowed for me to train under him as a medical assistant and actually helped me through school. And he... Um, I don't know if he knows it, but he was really instrumental too in my young adult life. Um, I remember telling him, um, cause I was still struggling. This was like a year into, you know, m- me being removed from my parents' home. Um, I didn't have money to buy gifts for anyone for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had been staying with a family friend, but I still was very not sure like how long I would be there and felt very unstable. And he gave me $500 in gift cards. He just put it on my desk and left for the day. So when I came back and I saw that that was there, like, it was super touching to me. Yeah. Um, he, when we got our first apartment, he offered to buy us a couch. Like, he just did 
I found someone who was willing to take a chance on me. And I feel like throughout my life, I kept finding those people that was willing to just do something nice for me or give me some kind of knowledge or offer me. <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> Your turn. <laughs> okay. Throughout my life, I feel like I kept finding people that were willing to give me like a hand up and not a handout. Um, and so he helped me obtain my medical assisting license and I worked in dermatology for four years after that. And then I wanted a job that, um, I was going to be able to be more of like a stay at home mom. So I got my real estate license, um, and I practiced real estate for a few years. And then I started helping my sister-in-law out with marketing and things, uh, CFC related. Um, I was always volunteering at CFC and wherever I could help out, I, I would, um, but it wasn't until I started helping her and assisting with her that I really got more involved and got to see kind of what happens behind the scenes right? Um, and more of like the client services and see what everybody's day-to-day is. Um, and then Lynn's dad had gotten very sick and she needed to be more of a full-time caretaker for him. Mm-hmm. So Ashley took on a lot of, you know, Lynn's executive duties and I kind of moved more into Ashley's position um, and then over the next four years, it just slowly progressed to where I really felt like I would be a good fit for executive director. Um, and Lynn was really looking to retire and be able to spend more time with her family, mm-hmm. um, as she should, because yeah. she's been doing this for 10 Absolutely. years. Um, and so she dedicated a year and a half to, to training me to be in this position specifically. And it was really... Um, inspiring because there were so many similarities that I hadn't realized to my life to someone in CFC or um, to a person in recovery still that you know I I have a lot to offer Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of introspective you know knowledge given my background with my parents who have addiction struggles and are still in active addiction um, and also being adopted like I feel like so many of our members are adopted I've never yeah (laughs) Um, when I'm here. <laughs> I've never met uh, so many people in one space. Yeah, it is weird. <laughs> um, and so it really became like a um, a real like special place for me too and growing yeah. through it over the last 10 years and making friendships and just mm-hmm. getting more um, in-depth into it was uh, – really special. The initiative that I just did for um, that was the Duffels of Love. It was, it was like one of the most beautiful years I felt mm-hmm. uh, that we did. Yeah. And so I'm just really excited to be able to offer different perspective, bring, you know, new and innovative initiatives to the program Yeah. while still tying it back to my family. I mean, yeah, we started it because of Dan um, and there's so many people that have gone through this program, you, mm-hmm. um, and some other people who are fantastically successful in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been able to rebuild relationships with their families and their significant others. And it feels really good to know that, you know, this resource was there for them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot, yeah. Of, a lot of exciting things. You said something, uh, they were willing to take a chance on me, but I could imagine coming from where you've come from and the people I'm sure you've met, you mm-hmm. also were taking a chance on certain people. Like part of you was like, I hope I'm not wrong this time. I'm yeah. sure. Like, I yeah. hope I'm not wrong, mm-hmm. but like, I think they might be good. 
Yeah, know? I think there's a lot of, for me, because I was always in that survival mode that I just, I was going to do what needed to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was definitely moments where I was crossing my fingers, you know, hopefully this is going to work out and I won't have to do this again. Um, even my friend's parents who took me in after I was kicked out mm-hmm. and to have that perspective that there are people out there that are going to know my story and are going to hear and be there in the moment with me. Right. Um, and still want to choose me. I think that made all the difference. Them taking me in, me meeting the Regans, um, me being able to explore this side of recovery coming from, you know, a child of parents who struggle with addiction. Right. Um, and then just growing up and working through all of the things and having the support system that I did was really life-changing. Yeah, and I think it's amazing, too, that one, obviously, the hope is that you break the generational curses, mm-hmm. you know, um, but you're going out of your way to seek self-help mm-hmm. without having any addiction because sometimes the sad thing that happens, I believe that in certain ways people that have substance abuse problems wind up being the lucky ones in the sense that they're able to, like, it's so taboo to do drugs mm-hmm. or to overdrink that people force you to get help. Mm-hmm. And then you seek therapists and you go to meetings and you ask yourself these super um, exponential questions. And they're questions that really every human being on earth should be asking themselves. Mm-hmm. But they sit in a place where they're not doing anything taboo, mm-hmm. so they don't have to. And yeah. it completely limits like your growth as a human being. So Mm -hmm. the fact that like without any addiction background and maybe some mental health that you Mm -hmm. struggled with, like you went out of your way to seek help. And the amazing thing about doing that is a lot of times people that are children of alcoholics or addicts, um, they tend to carry their traits with them Mm -hmm. through life. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is it skips the generation and then the next generation is the one that's affected. Yeah. um, And winds up maybe touching alcohol one day Mm -hmm. and, Yeah, Yeah. I think just being able to see um, what drugs and alcohol did to my biological parents, it traumatized me into being so afraid to even try to smoke weed or drink. Um, And I actually didn't have my first drink until I was 19. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after that, like I was really like I didn't drink until I was 21. And even now I wouldn't really say that I'm like much of a partier kind of person. And there was a hard time when all of my friends had gone to college. Mm-hmm. They're all drinking, they're going to parties, they're enjoying being in these spaces. And I still feel very uncomfortable and very limited in like how I can interact with my peers. Yeah. Which is why I think CFC is so amazing because when I met Dan, I was 19 and I didn't have friends who were in recovery or right. just did things sober. And I felt so uncomfortable in those spaces. So being able to do things with other people who I knew were safe mm-hmm. was um, really helpful and really exciting. Um, and I think it definitely helped me understand once I was starting to drink and kind of explore like what a night going out would be like. Right. I was still very mindful of you know what the dangers could be. Right. Um, but I also have extreme control. Problem. I don't think I would have ever like let loose or tried anything. You know, I just have so much fear in in letting go. 
Yeah, I, I definitely think control is, um, what's funny is for, if you speak to like anyone in the rooms, you know, and in our meetings, like when you ask the question, does anyone here have control issues? Like everyone raises their hand. Mm -hmm. And like, that's why I think it's so hard for so many people to get sober because there is a surrender process to it. And mm -hmm. surrender means I'm letting go of control and I'm allowing something bigger than me to control me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's just giving it up to people that know better or have been through it, mm -hmm. like, you know, seeking help from other people, taking other people's suggestions. And that's why so many times, like, when I have, like, these random thoughts, mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't know how Alyssa's going to take to this, but let me just have this conversation with her. <laughs> because if I just go for what I think, I've, I'm sometimes right, mm -hmm. but sometimes I'm really freaking wrong. Mm -hmm. So I like to run things by, and then I'll run it by you. I run it by my mom. I'll run mm -hmm. it by, like, I'll have, like, my list of, like, three people that – um, I look for, do they have anything I want? Uh, are they trusted? Like, mm -hmm. are they a trusted source? And do they have your best interest? Mm -hmm. And so I ask those questions to those people. And you happen to be on my three list, you know? <laughs> it's like my mom, you. And then there's some things I don't ask my mom, too. Uh, and then I always run things by Alexa, too. <laughs> um, Alexa is, like, my funny friend out of all of them because I do trust her input yeah. and everything. And but she'll she's, tell you exactly how. What the? Yeah. <laughs> she'll kind of just like let you know like oh hell no that's not okay like yeah. and I'm like yeah oh. you know um sometimes I need that energy and I have mm -hmm. another friend Steph who used to be very similar personality to Alexa now yeah. but she's like now in her healing stage mm -hmm. so she's like so calm and it's so weird yeah. like yeah <laughs> she's just like yeah I'm just in a place where I'm like healing and she loves like yoga she does mm -hmm. yoga every morning and I'm and like, like can you just like be mad with me yeah I'm like where is my where is my <laughs> fun my friend yeah <laughs> Yeah, like I grew up with her and I remember people because I was bullied a lot in high school mm -hmm. and um, people would just look at me weird and like sometimes it would be a friend and they were just joking. Yeah. And she would immediately fight them in the middle of the hallway and get suspended for me. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, Steph, stop. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I still to this day, I mean, we've been friends since I was 14 mm -hmm. and I'm 31 now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, yeah, still going strong. <laughs> manifestation I think that that is a super imperative part of limitations because mm -hmm. like if you're not visioning it or if you're not trying to at least stay positive in a positive mind frame I I just believe in the law of attraction I believe that if you are not thinking positive thoughts and doing positive things you're not going to have positive results mm -hmm. I think sometimes luck comes into play but mm -hmm. only a certain aspect that's mm -hmm. a very small portion yeah um what do you think about like um, I definitely think manifestation is a practice. It's definitely something that feels might feel very uncomfortable and awkward in the beginning. Yeah. Um, and I feel like growing up, I would manifest little things like, you know, what I wanted my future to be. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really start seeing the results of all of that until I really started doing a lot of introspective work. Mm -hmm. And same thing like what you're saying where – you know, you put out into the world what you're going to get back. And I really do think that that is very truthful. Um, and surrounding yourself with people who are in the same, like, wavelength as you or same mindset mm -hmm. as you is just as important. Oh, yeah. um, because the, when you start surrounding your yourself with people who are given opportunities or are in the places that you want to be in, you're going to start seeing those results yourself right. just because you're in those environments. Yeah. Um, when I was a barber, something that I, uh, so 
Before I became a barber at like very, very good barber shops, mm -hmm. um, I worked for like more corporate ones. But the cool thing with that is I got to go on these like retreat trips of seminars and yeah. stuff. And I went to San Antonio, Texas, and I was at this one. They were talking about when you're in a room and you can't learn, you should be able to learn something from everybody. But when you're the best person in that room, you need to get out and go into a different room. First of all, I can learn something from anyone. Mm -hmm. You know, like there could be someone that I like completely don't like their lifestyle person they are but I'm sure there's something I could pick up from them mm -hmm. that I'm like oh wow that was a cool perspective or yeah. oh wow that was a life hack that mm -hmm. they just did with mm -hmm. their car like mm -hmm. just something weird you could learn something and um then I remember as I was working at this place everyone was asking me questions and I had no more questions to ask like yeah I learned like a little more about other people's like cutting styles and then I was just like I want to learn more about like barbering on like a real level, not a corporate level. Mm -hmm. um, and I wound up messaging actually my old boss on Facebook because I was like, hi, like, do you have, I heard you do this class with straight razors. I really would like to take it. And he's like, oh, are you looking for a job? So I had yeah. went there and he like really took a chance on me. Mm -hmm. um, to this day, I still think I do have to apologize for the way things ended. <laughs> I will say that. Um, he was a really smart guy and I did learn a lot there and he took a chance on me and that's mm -hmm. like really what started my career, I really had a lot of options for other jobs. And now I am where I am, which has nothing to do with hair. Yeah. Um, but everything was a learning process. And mm -hmm. I'm, like, so grateful for that. Um, it's manifestation. It's about learning as you go. Yeah. Um, it's about, like, taking opportunities but knowing, like, is the risk worth it when mm -hmm. you do take those opportunities. Mm -hmm. And it's very different to take an opportunity and to be an opportunist. Like, yeah. I don't really like uh, – like opportunist personality. People who take advantage of yeah. like, the situations that they're in just for personal gain. Yeah, yeah, like they're not giving anything back to it. They're just mm -hmm. taking from it. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe in that. I believe that like you really should be being your best self when yeah. no one's watching. Yeah. Like hold the door at Wawa. Yeah. No one's looking at you. And just giving you. back just yeah. because it's what you do. Yeah, mm -hmm. just like small actions. Like, you know, someone sneezes, just say bless you. Like, you yeah. know, it's just simple things. Just smile at people. Like, mm -hmm. and I believe like all those things together and just walking around like that when no one's looking and you're not telling anyone about it and it's yeah. not on camera. Like they really do. Yeah, you're not posting it on social media and all Yeah, that. like I went up to an officer and I told him, thank you for your Don't service. Don't you hate those videos? Don't you find them so like, like cringe? I mean, I, I love them. Like, I love that those things are happening, but I hate when you see like someone going around to like a homeless population and they're giving out things or yeah. giving out money or whatever and I get the premise of it it's still a great thing but are you doing it because you're looking for views on. or are you doing it because you're actually you know really trying to give back and, and do good work so there's there's one girl on TikTok and I do love what she does mm -hmm. um I think that she's from Lebanon if yeah. I'm correct um and she posts videos of like Always people in America doing stupid stuff with food, like throwing a whole pizza pie at the wall, like for mm -hmm. views and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then she puts that and then she, with music, like cooks this big meal and goes into town and gives it out. Mm -hmm. And what I like about it is it shows people like not to waste your food and give back to people. There are people mm -hmm. that can't even eat that pizza. Mm -hmm. But what I don't like about it is that I don't know if it's views. And I think a lot of people feel like it's a good deed, mm -hmm. but it's a good deed not a good deed anymore because it's spoken. Right. And right. I mean, I'm sure the amount of money she I mean, spent, I, she doesn't tell you I spent yeah, $3,000. I, mean, I guess a good deed is a good deed no matter how you do it. But yeah. Yeah. I think there is a level of people just do things 
for like their own personal. Like even, and sometimes I get mad at myself because like I'll do something nice, but I'm not trying to like brag about what I did. Like for instance, like the duffels of love, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so I, I liked these like sweatsuits that I got. I was like, they're so freaking cute. And Mm -hmm. I like want to show people, but then I'm like, damn, I feel like I just took away from my good deed by having Mm -hmm. to show what like I got towards that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I like try to be conscious of when I'm doing that because I'm like, you're not doing it for ego, so why are you acting right now? Right. Like, out of ego. Right. You know? And mm-hmm. it's that's really just, like, me in my own head, like, trying mm-hmm. to, like, not do things in the wrong way. Um, and just trying to, like, remember that not everything needs to be said. It'll be noticed regardless. Yeah. Okay. Well, that actually brings us to really cool um, – I know you had said Ruby Cower, uh, I believe is Ruby how Core. Mm-hmm. Ruby Core. That um, she, on during COVID, had offered, like, the free Zoom mm-hmm. seminars and, like – that's so amazing for someone of her stature and success mm-hmm. to take time out of her day to say, hey, this is like a really hard time for people and yeah. we're not together. So I'm going to offer like free seminars through mm-hmm. Zoom. Yeah. And you I know? just think representation is so important. Um, you know, the Kardashians, they're um, Armenian and mm-hmm. they have definitely posted quite a bit about being Armenian in the culture and some of the things that go on there. And mm-hmm. um, I think all of those things are great. Obviously, Kim, she's like, did she become a lawyer or she's still in school to be a lawyer? Um, yeah, she mm-hmm. had gotten some type of like, it's like one of those short versions yeah. of lawyer degrees. But yeah. I know that she's done a lot in terms of social justice and things like that. And I think all of those things are great. And I do feel like a level of like, I feel bad that she is doing all of these things and people are very judgmental towards her because of who she yeah. is. Um, and that just comes with the territory, I think. I, I think once you get to that level of fame, I mean, people are going to overanalyze you regardless. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no one really sets me apart from someone who may be of that stature. Like, they're no better than me. Right. Um, and at the end of the day, they are still people, so. Yeah, and I think, like, for me, I always just think, like, I try to not limit myself in my thought process that there's nothing that is unachievable if I want it bad enough. Like, Mm -hmm. so even in my recovery, like in the beginning, it seemed impossible, like to never drink again the rest of my life or like do a drug or whatever. And, um, I, I think like (laughs) sobriety tests you Mm -hmm. and life tests you. Like when you're in the middle of healing, that's when everything starts hitting. Yeah. And like, it's like, I feel like it's a reminder how bad do you want this, you mm-hmm. know? And then you have to push a little bit harder. And then, like, you get through that milestone. It's like, okay, if I got over that, I could get over anything. And right. Then the next one hits, and mm-hmm. sometimes it hits harder. Yeah. And you're like, okay, how bad do you want this? Again, that's always the question. Like, how much effort am I willing to put in to get what I want? Because mm-hmm. if I don't put that effort in, I don't want it that bad. And I think that also brings up, like, don't ever – don't wait. Yeah. Like, just do it. Because there is never, ever going to be a right time to do things. Right. Because life continues to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And you will limit yourself if you don't allow yourself the ability to just jump in. Um, Obviously, it depends on what you're doing. Like, people, I'll use, like, having kids for an example. They want to feel financially stable. They want to be in a good relationship. And I do think all of those things are important. Mm -hmm. But also, if it's something that you really want, you should just... Do it. it. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think that, like, there's a lot of things that, like, we talk about, like, our dreams, like, our random dreams Mm -hmm. outside of Mm -hmm. CFC. um, But I have a bunch even in here, like, so many ideas that I, I'm like, oh, my God, like, I thought of this new fundraiser, and I think it'd be so cute. And then the next day, I'm thinking about something way off topic, and I'm like, 
Kim, you got to just do one, right? You got to dial it back a little bit. Alyssa does not want to <laughs> hear 40 ideas right now. So, like, just pick one and just figure it out without bothering Alyssa and just get it done, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but, like, outside of here, you know, we have all these dreams. And I do know that sometimes it's timing. Like, okay, let's yeah pull these ideas together. Let's see what we could come up with just, like, on paper. And then when we're ready, like, you know, mm-hmm. go and do it. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's the amazing thing because, like, our dreams aren't just right now. Yeah, and other people are going to do the same thing. And this is something that I've definitely learned being in, like, this realm is that um, there's going to feel like a lot of people that are, like, copying your idea yeah. or um, taking what you do and making it their own. And you just have to do what feels right to you and, and know that you're being your authentic self. Mm-hmm. And because if you get so wrapped up in what everyone else is doing or if someone else is achieving what you want to achieve and you're not there yet, you'll just consume yourself. Yeah. Um, I think that that's one. If there's one lesson I learned in recovery is mm-hmm. how unoriginal everyone in the world is, including myself. Yes. Like, you think that you're like this original thinker and then like you have this like, crazy thought and you're like, I don't think anyone's ever thought of this before. And then... You and then you like Google it, and it turns out that there's 12 other companies with the same thing that you just thought yeah. of. Yeah, <laughs> that's why it was funny because the anti drug social club, um, I had looked up every trademark, and the mm-hmm. fact that it didn't mm-hmm. exist, I'm like, I gotta jump on this because nothing's yeah. ever original, <laughs> and someone else got it as it's somewhere, yeah. you know. Um, and I think that, um, it's okay that there's other people with that idea, and, and that is the key like, mm-hmm. being authentic in it and being your like most original, um original self I I don't know if that makes sense and just not feeling like you need to be in competition with anyone I think that's the biggest thing that I'm learning now especially with you know all of the expectations and and things that I've placed on myself no one's placed these on me Mm -hmm. but trying to fill the role of executive director here um, I've definitely been learning that you know I bring my own original ideas and my own spin on things um, and I'm not in competition with anyone. Anyone, yeah. Um, and if I continue to remind myself of that, I'm still learning and everyone's still learning forever, mm-hmm. um, then, you know, you'll definitely feel a lot better about the decisions and the choices that you're making. I definitely think that that is an amazing way for us to end yes. this podcast. I want to thank you so much for coming. And I'm very looking forward to you coming back a million more times. Um Guys, continue to tune in every single week. And remember, link to www.healingus.org can be found in the underbar of the YouTube. It also could be found in the podcast uh, bio description. And also, just so you know, the merch that we are wearing today that you see in our video can also be found in the link below. Yeah, and I just want to say that I think it's so amazing that you are creating this podcast, and I really appreciate, you know, all of your creativity, and I'm just so proud of you. I know that (laughs) we talked about me, um, but, you know, you've achieved long-term recovery yourself, and it's just truly a blessing to be able to see you grow, and I am so happy to be on this journey with you, too. I'm so excited, Yeah. yeah. I actually, it's so funny, like, even though we're where we're at right now, do you ever, like, get that feeling like you're, like, I know that this is going to go mm-hmm. further in life. Like, yeah. this is, it's, like, that red line concept. Like, it's, like, a red rope is, like, connecting mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, we're going to do something else in the future that's, like, really big. And I feel I it in that. my soul and gut. <laughs> and I'm just, like, so excited to see where we end up together. Because mm-hmm. I, I do think that we're a force in our own right. Mm-hmm. And 
and Lex too, like she's freaking yeah. amazing. Yeah. Like we really do have like a very good working relationship, but mm-hmm. also like a friendship and I value it so much and I can't even explain to you, but thank you so much <laughs> for being a part of this and taking, really taking a chance on me this time because I oh mean, this was a little bit of investment of time yeah. and energy and finances for us to get this started. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm so excited to see where we can go Me with it. Me too. Yay. Yay. Love you. <laughs> Love you too. Okay. Bye, guys. <laughs>